Good morning, Village. Good morning to those in the gym. Good morning to those watching at home. Thank you. Oh, worship, just hearing us raise our hearts to the Lord this morning was such a blessing. And hearing us do that with, with vigor was a blessing this morning. I think of the, the last song we sung, and we sang, and it was the words, Then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. And, and that phrase encapsulates what we want to talk about this summer as we go through the Psalms. Psalms has a way of taking our soul and directing it to God. And that's what worship does. And so I want to start with just some interaction this morning. What is one of your favorite worship songs? Or favorite, sometimes you're like, I don't know which one. So what is a worship song you like? Let's just, that way there can be many. And why? And in, in, a, in three sentences or less. Um, so, um, Jacqueline. Okay. Better is one day because it's better. It's good to come to church and be be in his house. How great thou art! The, the, yeah. Uh huh. Oh wow! So it has a lot of meaning for what God did at that point, and what a beautiful song to to have that with. Kristen. Grace like rain. Okay. Why? Okay. We illustrated the cleansing and forgiveness of God through His grace. Good. I am redeemed. Okay. Yeah. And that's our new identity as children of God. I missed another hand back here. Okay. Yeah, amen, amen. Oh, I remember that song. Yeah. And that was from a time where we sung a lot of Scripture and that one was out straight out of, straight out of Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How how many people have been touched by that song, and gone from being a wretch before Christ to being a saint after Christ because of His grace? Yes. Ten thousands reasons. Ten thousand reasons. As we talk about reasons to bless the Lord and. We have so many reasons to bless the Lord. We could keep going on that all day. And um, one of the reasons for that is because songs have a way of penetrating our soul. One of the ways I like to think about it is music has a way of really bypassing a lot of our um, defenses at times. So we have to be careful, but bypassing a lot of the barriers that keep us from speaking from the heart. And getting right to the heart. And so that's why I love Then Sings My Soul, My Savior God to Me. Because worship is about our souls communicating with our Creator. And so we move from a sermon series on deep idols, because we all worship something. And we we talked about some of the, the worldly things we worship. And so it's only appropriate now to spend the summer focusing on God Almighty. 
and focus, redirecting our souls to who God is. As we, as we heard what worship songs meant a lot to a lot of people, there were a lot of reasons for that, right? Some of it was tied to times where God was very real in their life and, or God did a new work in their life, whether it be salvation or showing the power of forgiveness. Sometimes our, our favorite songs have to do when God showed up in a time of grief, in a, a time of hardship, and that song just meant so much to us. Um, sometimes it's a time of just intense spiritual growth. Um, some of my favorites are still those times where I, God just revealed Himself in a new way, and I will always link those songs to that time. And, and it's important to understand as we come to a series on the book of Psalms, we are coming to a, a songbook, 150 songs that were used in worship for, for the Hebrews. And, and so these cover a variety of emotions and, and topics and things that we'll talk about today, because today is our, our intro sermon where we get to talk about some of the details and vitals of a book and, and really try to understand. But even the word psalm comes from um, the Greek word psalmos, which comes from the Hebrew word that meant song. And so it's not real profound. It, it means songs. And, and really the verb that it's tied with is to make music or to sing praise. Now one of the, the, the things I want to throw out there as we start this, worship is not just the first half hour of our service. So worship is not just music, but it definitely includes music. And so we're going to see that with the Psalms where music was an integral part of worship, but really it's about our all of ourselves, our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of ourselves being directed to God. But songs just have a way of entering our soul directly. Some of the material this morning will come from our Playing With Fire class, the, the chapter we did on Psalms, which is from the book by that title. And I know Pastor Andrew and I have taught that class, and so... Um, I'm plagiarizing a little bit from the book and ourselves. So, um, but it's, it's just helpful to, to understand the beginning. Um, think about music for a minute. Think about TV commercials. Are there ever any like jingles that get in your head? Yeah, so, <laughs> nation, wait, wait, what's that? Farmers. McDonald's. Okay. I'm like, I know that one. I just don't know what company, which is really bad marketing. Um, so my thought always goes to, I'm a pepper, you're a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper. Wouldn't you like to be a pepper too? And so that's why we all drink Dr. Pepper. Um, we can go on and on. Ch- childhood songs. Um, VeggieTales mastered this, right? Oh, where is my... That's a lot of people that just answered me. <laughs> Imagine if we could say any verse in the Bible in that many people. No, it's not. <laughs> the power of music, though. The power of something that catches our hearts and minds. And, and we, oh, where is my hairbrush? And no hair for my hairbrush. And, and I'll give it to the peach and all that, that good stuff. Um, sorry. My, my, we watched a lot of VeggieTales. Long time ago. Not recently. Um, Sometimes we use music to remember things, um, just to, to memorize things. Music has a way to do this. It's powerful. And so we come to a series on Psalms knowing it's powerful. It's a powerful tool to draw us close to God. It is also powerful to draw us away from God. And so we have to understand that, that it's a powerful tool, but it can be used either way. 
And so I'm sure there have been times where you're like singing along with a song on the radio and then you actually stop to listen to the words. You're like, oh my, that's, oh, ooh, that's bad. Um, and, 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 and it has a way of getting past our defenses, so we must be careful, but that doesn't mean we throw music out. It means we are diligent to evaluate it and use it for worship. And so we come to Psalms, which are, are very popular. And if you haven't studied Psalms before, if you open your Bible right about to the middle, it's right in the center. And it's 150 chapters, 150 songs that were their songbook. It was their hymn book of the time. And over the years, Psalms in Christendom have been just so popular. And one of the reasons is they're familiar and we hear them. But, but one of the reasons I think they're so popular is they express sometimes emotions that we struggle to express. There's times I'm going through stuff and I read a Psalm and I'm like, that's it. I can't put it into words, but God did. And, and it has a way of expressing our soul and expressing our heart and being directly applicable to what we're going through because of that. Bringing that, that comfort. It, it's honest, which I think we appreciate. It's transparent, sometimes raw. So sometimes we, we read Psalms and we'll get to some of them this morning and we're like, really, I'm going to sing that in church? Because it's sometimes so raw, but it always brings us back to pointing at our Creator and pointing to God. So if I had to summarize the purpose of Psalms, and it's hard when you have 150 that are all different topics and themes, but I think the purpose of these songs is to direct our whole self to worship the Lord and bring Him glory. The purpose of this book was to facilitate worship, to, to direct our whole self, our soul, our mind, because it always comes back to truth on these things, to, to direct our whole self to worship the Lord. It's about pointing the Lord. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. And that's a directional statement. And that's what the Psalms should do. Our whole self to worship the Lord and bring Him glory. See, God wants us to worship Him with every part of our lives. Every emotion. He wants us to worship Him with our joy, with our awe, but also with our hurt, with our pain, with our anger. In everything we do, we can glorify Him if we worship Him, if we direct our hearts that direction. And Psalms captures these emotions. We can go to them when we're laughing and find a perfect psalm. We can go to them when we're crying and grieving and find the perfect psalm. When I go out to visit with families that have just lost a loved one, we often just read psalms and, and, and just grieve with the psalmist and then have that song draw us back to who God is. Because they always direct us back to the Creator. And really in that way, all the Psalms, all the themes, all the emotions, they're all about God. They're all about God. And, and so we come to Psalms with that in mind. Um, and, and some of how we're going to do this this summer is we're, we're not going to go 150 Psalms in order. Um, because we only have a summer. And that, that would be challenging. Um, we're going to have different people preach on, on their favorite psalms and on, on psalms that mean a lot to them. And I'm going to do some. The other pastors are going to do some. Some of our other teachers are going to do some. And really try to give us a taste of the 150 psalms by, by being scattered in how we, we um, approach them and how we learn about them. But we're going to start with some of the vitals of psalms. And again, some of you love 
hearing all the details and the vitals, and some of you are like, okay, let's get to Psalm 1, which we're going to cover today. But the vitals are really important to us to, uh, as we read God's Word, to know the context, to know what's going on. We want to be careful to interpret God's Word correctly. And so that's what some of these vitals serve to, serve to help us with. Point number one there. The Psalms are musical poems. So think poetry as you read the Psalms. Think songs. So they're musical poems. Songs and prayers to God. So some are songs, some are prayers in song form. And, and they seem to be formally constructed primarily for corporate worship, especially at the tabernacle and the temple. In 55 of the Psalms, the title includes for the choir director. And a choir implies a choir. And, and so there's a corporate aspect of this. That's over a third of the songs that explicitly say they're for this. There are examples of David giving a song to Asaph, who's also mentioned in the Psalms, to sing for an occasion. Um, there's musical instruments and terms used. And so these were intended to be sung. These were intended to be worship songs. Um, these are mostly for public worship, but sometimes they were for private worship as well. And we can use them for both. We can use them to inform our gathering together. We can use them to inform our private worship. Hannah and Mary, actually two completely separate times, separate situations, they both used Psalm 113 privately as part of their prayer and worship to God. And so they knew the Psalms. It was part of um, who they were, like we would with an impactful song. As we started, I said, what was your, what's one of your, the, the songs that means a lot to you? And you had no problem coming up with them. That was how they used the Psalms as well. So corporately, but also privately. In fact, we know that the early church adopted a lot of the Psalms into their worship and prayers and writings. Um, poetry of the time was highly prized. And I don't know if it's highly prized now, maybe with spoken word making a little bit of a comeback, but poetry was highly prized. And, and we have to understand poetry as a genre um, had certain repetitions as, as it does now. It has certain word pictures as it does now and, and sort of exaggerated way of saying things to try to get to expressing our soul. So poetry was highly prized. Um, one of the other reasons it was prized for them is we have to understand that in the Old Testament world, this was primarily an oral culture. So they, they didn't have a printing press yet. They didn't have their own copies of the Bible yet. And so you passed things on orally, and you needed to memorize them to pass them on accurately. And so one of the tools they used to do that was poetry and, and these psalms. And so it helped them memorize things better than just prose and just a story. Um, Poetry also often expresses emotion and action rather than doctrine and logic. Now, that does not mean that Psalms doesn't have doctrine and logic. In fact, in most of the laments, and we'll cover a lament psalm next week, in most of the laments, it starts with emotion and action and then moves to constrain that or inform that with theology. And so we're going to see a different type of expression in Psalms. Um, it uses a lot of metaphor, we mentioned, a lot of repetition and um, different patterns, just as our music would. And we have different kinds of music, right? There's different kinds of psalms. Uh, and, and so if, if, we, if we begin to think songs, then we can understand psalms a little bit more. Detail number two about the psalms, there were many different authors. 
This is a little different because usually I'm, I'm giving the details of a book and we have one author, we go into their history and, and all of that. There's a bunch of different authors for Psalms. Um, I'll, I'll just give you some of the, the details. David looks like he wrote at least 73 of them. So David's the primary author, and that's who we usually think of when we think of Psalms. But Solomon also wrote a couple. Moses wrote one. Now, now do you catch Moses, David, and Solomon? They didn't live at the same time. We're talking 500 years between, three to 500 years between. Um, Asaph wrote 12, the, the choir leader. Sons of Korah, a group that was in charge of worship, wrote 10 of them. Um, Heman, or Heman, <laughs> the Ezraite wrote one. Ethan, the Ezraite wrote one. 50 of them are anonymous. So we just have a ton of different authors. And what happened is these became used in worship and just like our songbook, we use the screen now, but when we had hymns or when we had the, the Maranatha books, I'm dating myself a little bit with those, um, you'd go through them and they were all written by someone different. And But someone collected them because these were, were part of the worship of the assembly. And that's probably what happened with the Psalms. Someone made a collection of these as they were used, superintended by the Holy Spirit. So it is still Scripture. Don't think it's not Scripture. But the Holy Spirit arranged the construction of these 150 songs. And if we attempt to worship without considering the 150 songs the Holy Spirit put in the Word, that's a problem. And so we want to come to worship with an open mind and say, okay, what did God choose to put in His Word about worship? Point number three in your notes, the dates represent just a broad swath of Israel's history. A broad swath of Israel's history. Like I said, they, they range from Moses, 13th century, David and Solomon, 300 years later, 10th century. At least one of them is either during the Babylonian exile or after the Babylonian exile in the 5th or 6th century. So these 150 songs span at least 800 years. So I can't even give you a, a precise date for this book. But it's so cool to see that. Because as God does things with his people, his people write new songs. And it, it's true of us. I've seen it in the church. As God does a work in his church, some new songs always accompany that work. As God does a work in our hearts, some new songs always accompany that. That's why we have Sing to the Lord a new song. It doesn't negate the old because we have 150 now songs that are, are much older than any of us. But God, what this shows me is God was continuing to do a work in his people. And they continued to write new songs as he taught new lessons. So think about this. 800 years, we have their songbook. We have a musical insight into what God was doing in their lives in how God was working with his people, that he's been faithful for 150 or for 800 years, that they kept needing to direct themselves to God over this time. Yes, the bulk of them will be the time of David because he wrote the majority of them. But it, it's this broad swath of Israel's history. Just literally, the, the um, fourth point, Psalms is organized into five books and many topics. Um, and, and the five books, I listed them out there. Um, there's five sections of Psalms. Each ends with a doxology. And these were probably like five different volumes of Psalms. You know, 
I don't know that we have that with our song books, but um, maybe some of the early Maranatha, I remember there was volume one, volume two, volume three, volume four. That's the kind of thing that Psalms was. And so you have one through 41 was volume one, and, and you can go on. In fact, there's a couple places where you get the same Psalm in two different volumes, which is, which is sort of cool. And so I, I don't know, maybe in the synagogues, they said, okay, pull out Psalm volume three today. And I don't know, but that's, we, we have to realize these were used in corporate worship. They also, within the Psalms, were, were, within those volumes, were often grouped by themes. And, and we should be, those of you familiar with a hymn book, there's themes, right? You, you can look at a theme on July 4th even. You can look at a theme on the cross. You can look at a theme on the Lord's Supper. And, and they've grouped the hymns together. The Psalms are sort of like that. And so you get some, like 93 to 100 are all about the kingship of God. And so if, if, if they had a hymn book, they had a hymn scroll or a song scroll, they'd go, okay, let's, let's go to the section on the kingship of God. And you had eight psalms right there about that. Psalm 113 to 118 were songs for the Passover, that they'd sing in their homes for Passover. And it's, it's, I don't know, as I study this, I'm like, that is just really cool. Because we structure things like that, and these were just songs that they used for worship. 120 through 134, some of my favorite songs, are the songs of ascent that they would sing on the way up to worship because they valued preparing themselves for worship, and so they'd start singing before they got there. And that way when they got there, their hearts were already directed to Almighty God and ready to hear His Word. There's a whole group of them that are are messianic. I'm looking forward to the Messiah. I think Pastor Andrew is going to talk about one of those coming up. And um, there's 15 of them that are used by the New Testament with messianic hope. Um, Psalm 2, which I'm not sure we're going to cover, but it introduces the theme of this coming king. And, and so these psalms are just rich in so much. In fact, one author wrote this. The psalms were prominent in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. This is their lasting power. Before Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg, he had lectured on the psalms for over two years. His Christ-centered interpretation of the psalms helped forge the doctrine of the Reformation. And so they're songs, but don't think of them as trite. They are powerful, they are deep with theology and with truth. Another category of psalms or another theme we'll see is the imprecatory psalms. That's your big word for the day. Um, You can use that to impress people at the barbecue afterwards. I know what imprecatory means. An imprecatory psalms is a psalm that is a curse on someone. It's a judgment on someone, which is really odd to have in a worship song. For instance, Psalm 137 is an example that we use in our, our playing with fire class. It says, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. So I'm thinking we should add that phrase into our worship next Sunday. I don't know where where Joshua is. Um, We can just sing up here, blessed are your... Never mind. Some precatory psalms are are hard. And and some have said, see, psalms really aren't from God because how could God uh, approve of a song that is a spoken curse on someone? 
And so we do want to be careful with how we use them, but understand poetry, the authors are expressing their emotion, but the purpose of these psalms is to pass the desire for revenge on to God and to let go of it and say, this is how I'm feeling, this is, this is the judgment I wish would happen, but I trust you to handle it. And which of us haven't needed that from time to time? Maybe you've never been angry at someone in your life. I doubt it. And maybe you, you need to give that to God. And that's what those psalms help us do, is to realize I can be angry and my deepest emotion, in fact, all of them are usually at sin and sin against God, but I can trust that God will handle it. I can just bear my soul to God, which why wouldn't we? He knows it already. The, the whole idea of I'm going to hide something from God and use really nice flowery language with God, you're not tricking him. He knows your heart, so bear it to him, share it with him, and then leave it with him. And that's what those psalms let us do. Next section in your notes is the types of psalms. And we'll, we'll go through these pretty quickly, and these just help us understand. When we go through psalms, sometimes it's, it's helpful to know what type of psalm is this. For instance, Psalm 1 today, which is the introduction to the whole songbook, is a psalm of wisdom. And, and of, of, it's a didactic psalm teaching wisdom. But some of the psalms we have, the, the first one that we would normally think of is songs of praise, right? Descriptive praise about God. We sing so many wonderful songs today about how great God is who he is, his character. That's descriptive praise. And so these are songs about God, songs of joy, songs praising God, God's kingship, um, looking forward to, to eternity with him. And, and these really help our orientation be, be Godward, right? Our orientation is toward who God is. Second type that I want to mention today is songs of lament. And interestingly enough, songs of lament are the most common psalm in the 150. And so there are more of these than any other because I think they deal with the human condition. I think they deal with worship in a Genesis 3 world, which is where we all are. And so these laments, these are are both, again, you'll see some individual laments and corporate laments for, for all of the people or for the group. And, and these really, if, if praise orients us to God, lament is, is us being disoriented by the world and being disoriented by the sin around us and the effects that Satan has had around us. And, and we'll get into um, this, this type of psalm a, a much more deeper next week. But a lament says, life stinks. This world stinks. And I'm, I'm feeling it, God. But I know you're still God. And I know I can trust you. And so I would put songs of trust and confidence in God in this category too. Um, Most of the imprecatory songs I talked about also fit into the laments. They're usually part of a lament um, as as we just bear our soul to God. Third type of psalm that I put there is psalms of thanksgiving. Psalms of thanksgiving. And in the Playing with Fire book, they call it declarative praise, where I'm praising God for what he's done. I'm declaring what he's done around me as opposed to just talking about him. I'm saying this is what God has done. And what's interesting, if, if songs of praise orient us to God, songs of lament are disorientation by the world, songs of thanksgiving are a reorientation to say this is how God deals with the world and draws me back to him. And so that's the, the, the sequence that is, is 
really powerful as these psalms deal with real things we, we experience in our Christian walks. Real things we experience as we try to follow God. And so we have Thanksgiving psalms, psalms of remembrance and celebration for what God has done. And then the fourth category, didactic psalms, teaching, you, you could put other because it just sort of fits all the other categories. You have wisdom psalms that read more like Proverbs. You have prophetic psalms that deal with the Messiah. You have psalms just about God's law, which is, we'll see today a little bit, like Psalm 119. Um, we have songs for occasions like Passover, and songs of repentance like Psalm 51 with David after Bathsheba. And so we have just a lot of these other teaching psalms that fill in the gaps of the, the major themes that we have. So then how do we approach psalms? How do we understand the poetry? And, and so to do that, I think we have to understand a number of things, things to recognize. The first one is parallelism. And to not get too into the weeds, I'll just quickly do these. And I'm just going to cover the three major ones today. But in the psalms, you're going to often see a psalm with multiple lines, line one and line two. And line two is almost always related to line one in some fashion, right? And so that's called parallelism, where they're related together. The first one is synonymous, and I think I put up some um, illustrations there, where the second line really repeats the, the first line in the same way. It, um, it's the same idea as the first, but uses different words, which is helpful, right? To give us a better idea, okay, oh, that's what line one means. Um, you know, we do this with people all the time. They say something, and we're like, huh? And so they say it again in different words, like, oh, now I get what you're saying. Um, that's, that's synonymous parallelism. parallelism. Um, and an example there from the Psalms is, blessed is one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's a second phrase that says, says the same thing, but doesn't it give a richness to the idea of forgiven that it's covered, it's taken care of? And so that's, that's synonymous parallelism that you'll want to look for. Um, Second one is antithetical parallelism. That's where the second line is the opposite of the first line or says something different from the first line. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So it's usually a contrast or some sort of uh, two different sides that are, are opposite each other. The last category, which a lot of scholars use the word synthetic parallelism, um, and they all say we hate this word, but it's what everyone uses. Because what does synthetic parallelism mean? So there's this movement to call it more advancing parallelism, where the second line somehow advances the idea of the first. It specifies it more or intensifies it more. Um, For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, is the example I use. And then the second line expands on that. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And so it's taking what it means to have his hand heavy on us and expanding that to in, in, in intensity in this case. So as you read the Psalms, if you can keep some of these in mind, you'll, it'll just there's a richness that comes. A couple of other things to remember as we study the Psalms: historical context. Um, try to figure out when you know, we don't know the historical context of every Psalm, but those titles at the top can help you understand the Psalm. So like I mentioned Psalm 51, the title at the top will say this is a song of repentance by David after Nathan confronted him about Bathsheba. 
Well, man, that changes how we view the whole psalm, right? So we want to look at some of those clues. Um, sometimes there's verses in the psalm that give us some of those clues. Um, third point in your notes, each psalm is its own literary unit. So yes, there, there's some that seem to go together, but by and large, each one is its own literary unit. And the last thing that will help us with psalms, and for some of you this is wonderful, for some of you this is stretching, we need to read and relate with the psalms with emotion. God gave us our emotions. He didn't want our emotions to control us, but He gave them as a good gift. And worship, directing them to God, is a great way to bring them in line with truth and in line with Scripture. So we need to read and relate with emotion to the psalms. Uh, and I already mentioned some of this. The Psalms gives us some of the most intense and honest emotion in the whole Bible. Maybe you can include lamentations in there. Maybe you can include parts of Job in there. But the range of emotions that the Psalms give us are, are, are vast. But then they, they have a, a unique quality is that they can unite the human experience and the emotion with a vibrant theology about God. And so that's why I say the purpose is to, to take our whole self and direct us to God, our emotions and everything else. I think a, a key phrase, and this wasn't original to me, this was one of the authors, and I just love this. Psalms don't just express emotions, they shape emotions. And that is a vital way of actually thinking of emotions in our Christian walk. Psalms don't just express emotion, and they do a fantastic job of that. But they shape emotions. Let, let me give you an example. Psalm 42, 5 and 6. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? That's expressing emotions, right? Anyone ever been there? Why, why am I a mess? Why am I wrecked right now? But then that's not where it stops. That's the expressing emotions. But then the Psalms shape our emotions because it goes on to say, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. And so we see a psalm that's expressing emotions, but then shaping emotions back to a direction on God. So in many, time, in many ways they tell us what to do with turmoil, what to do with rage, what to do with awe, what to do with anger, what to do with injustice. We can find all of those things as we study the psalms. Turn with me to Psalm 1. You're like, wow, that was a long introduction. <laughs> that was the main part of the sermon. I want to close by, by just reading Psalm 1 quickly together and, and, and pointing out a couple things. See, Psalm 1 is probably the introduction to the whole songbook. Quite possibly, it was written late in the game. As all these songs were being put together, the Holy Spirit inspired this summary psalm to start it all off. And so Psalm 1 is really a key to understanding all of the psalms because it talks about which path are you going to be on? Worship God, worship the world. Focus on God, focus on the crud in this world and, and, and the evil in this world. And it, it says, these are your two choices. And those choices affect the rest of the 149 psalms of worship, right? They affect how we view them. They affect whether they're effective, whether we should even bother reading on. And so Psalm 1 acts as this introduction to the entire book of Psalms. And it reads, starting at verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And those first three verses are the first stanza of the psalm, and they talk about the path of the righteous. So again, two paths, path of the righteous in one through three, four and five give the path of the, the wicked. And he starts in verse 1 with some familiar verses, right? How many of you have heard Psalm 1 before? Even before worship this morning. Yeah, so this is, this is fairly familiar. But he starts by saying the path of the righteous stays away from some things, right? In verse 1, stays away, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of, of scoffers. And he's saying the, the, the man is blessed or happy or, or really well-being. Same word that is translated in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. But that, that life will be good in a godly way, not in a health and wealth way, but it'll be good in a walk with God way if you avoid these things. And, and, and here, there's a progression here. Walking in the counsel of, of the wicked this is sort of the first steps. Walking, you hear something, you listen to something, you listen a little more. You, you see something you shouldn't see, and so you look just a little bit more. And, and it's the idea here that you're, you're starting to think like the world. Counsel, think thinking. And so he says, don't even go down that road. Don't, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Be careful of your thinking and what happens in that thinking. Accepting the advice of the world the worldview, the moral decisions, the ethics of the world. And there's a huge battle for this right now, right? There's a huge battle for what is moral, what is ethical, what is right. And, and the battle is trying to change our thinking, the first step in this progression. Because if you can grab someone in the first step, the spiral is quick and it's fast. And, and so the next thing is, nor stands in the way of sinners. And, and think of, I'm walking by something, but now I'm standing with you. Now I'm talking with you. And, and now I'm adopting some of the characteristics. I'm, I'm more behaving like you. I'm being party to the ways. I'm identifying with the people that I'm standing in. When we go to the barbecue, I'm sure there will be conversation circles. And, and I hope that we are looking outside of ourselves to meet people and to welcome people. But in those circles, we're, we're, we're building relationship. We're identifying with them. And that's that second point, nor stands in the way of sinners. And then finally, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now we're not walking by. We're not just standing with them. Now we're sitting. We belong. This is us. In fact, the idea here is not only are we sitting with them with the scoffers, but now we're scoffing at other people. We've adopted it so much that now we're pulling other people into this circle. And so all in one verse is the richness of be careful of of the cycle that that degrades into wickedness and stop it at the beginning. It's progressive acceptance that we want to stop right away before we go down this path. This is saying, I'm not going to try to get as close to the line as I can, but I'm going to try to get as far from the line as I can because my heart is for God. Wearsby says, if you follow the wrong counsel, then you will stand with the wrong companions and finally sit with the wrong crowd. And so verse 1 is a, a warning against that. It gives us three degrees of departure from God. 
But then verse 2, what to run to. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight meaning to take great pleasure in. And just loving it. And the law of the Lord, it, it could refer to the, the Ten Commandments. It could refer to the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. But how it's used here, it seems to be used of all of Scripture at the time. And so we could interpret this as all of Scripture that we have to delight in it, to love it, to, to cherish it. When we delight in something, we actually like reading it, right? It, or, or if we delight in a certain food, we actually like eating it. If I, if I delight in hamburgers and I've never had a hamburger... That's just weird. If we say we delight in God's Word and we're not opening it and reading it, that's weird because we're not delighting in it. And so the righteous man, the path that leads to God's blessing and approval and favor is someone that delights in God's Word. He goes on, and, and, and this, I think, is, is a parallelism, probably intensifying. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And what a, what a wonderful word. You, we've talked about this at Wildwood. You've heard me talk about this. The idea of meditate, the word here isn't like Eastern meditation. It's not empty your mind. It's like, ooh. No. The word here actually is to fill your mind, to mutter on something, to keep repeating something to yourself. The image we often use is it was sometimes used of a cow chewing its cud. You know, so chew it for a while and swallow it and then spit it back up and chew it for a while and send it to another stomach and chew it. That's what we should be doing with God's Word. And so the psalmist, right from the first song, is saying, this is what it looks like to worship God. Love His Word. Be in it. Make it part of who you are. It's a worship song. It's pointing back to the truths of Scripture. It's pointing us back to the source of truth. And and so right from there, even that verse, my question for us is, how are we doing this? How are we meditating on God's Word? How are we keeping it front of mind? You know, maybe that's sticky notes with verses all over the place that you want to remember. Maybe it's using the Bible memory app to make sure that you're memorizing God's Word. Maybe it's having um, a friend that you're like, hey, what did you read today? How are you in God's Word today? And talking about that. But keep it front of mind is what this means. And and, and if we if we have a checkbox and we've done our Bible reading in the morning, and we never think about it all the rest of the day, that's not following the Word. That's not enough. And I'm not saying we should perform better. I'm saying we should love the Word more. We should be thinking about it. We should be loving it and craving it. Because it, it instructs life. It gives wisdom for life. It gives comfort for life. Some of you listen to podcasts, and there's podcasts just with the Word, and I've heard all kinds of creative ways. We have more technology to do this than we ever have before. Um, in my email every day, I get a verse of the day, and it's just another way I have to, okay, I'm going to look at that verse and reflect on that verse. Um, but be in God's Word because we love it. That's the challenge of this worship song. Number three, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, or, or verse three that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And, and we've all seen trees by a stream, right? That are, their roots are going down in the water. Jeremiah, did I forget to put pictures in? No pictures? Okay. I'm going to give you a visual. <laughs> um, this verse took on a whole new meaning for me after my first trip to Israel. Because we're in... Um, 
the southern regions of Israel, and the Negev. It's the wilderness. It's desolate. It's dry. And I had pictures of that. It's like nothing is alive here. And we hike through this valley to a spring. And there's this little spring with a little trickle of water going through this valley. And we get to the end where there's a little pool of water in the middle of this desolate desert. And there are like a grove of trees there. And they're all around the water. And the pictures, I show their roots because their roots are exposed and they are like straining down to the water. And there's not water there all year. I don't know, maybe there is in the spring all year there. There's Okay, there's water all year there. But it's, it's just a little bit and the roots are straining down the water. And we sat on those roots or next to those roots and we read this verse. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And the idea is there, even in famine, it doesn't because it's got its roots down where it needs to be. In all that he does, he prospers. And I thought of those trees and the roots seeking the water. Do we seek God's word that way? Do we need God's word that way? Because that is what allowed the trees to stay healthy, to bear fruit, to not wither, even in the worst of famine. So you see a beautiful word picture there that the psalmist is bringing out. And so we have the path of the the righteous. In 4 and 5, we have the path of the wicked. It's a little shorter. It's very direct. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. And they take their kernels and you throw them up in the air and the the husk and the straw would just blow away. And and they said, those that don't follow God, that's what they're like. They're rootless. They're weightless. They're useless. And and it's dry. It's not growing. It's to be severed from God's Word. No nourishment. No life. And quite frankly, you all have been to church a long time. You can fake it for a while. You can act like a Christian for a while. We can act like a thriving Christian for a while. But eventually, without roots in the water, eventually it's chaff that gets blown away. And it's worthless. And that's what this song is reminding us, to be planted, to be seeking God's Word. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment. Think of standing before a judge and the phrase, without a leg to stand on. And that's sort of the idea here is, their arguments have no, no merit. They have no leg to stand on. Nor sinners in the congregation of righteous. Because those that are coming together in true worship, the wicked don't understand. They don't understand how that's even possible. And then finally, verse 6 tells us the, the destination of those two paths. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And again, there is a richness to the psalm. That word for knows, the, war, the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. It doesn't just mean he knows about you. Hey, yeah, I've heard of so-and-so once. No, the, the word for know there is an intimate relationship, a close relationship. And it's saying, if you're in the word, if you're seeking God, if your life is directed Godward in worship, the Lord knows you intimately. You are close to Him. He knows your ways and your paths intimately. He's part of it. He is not distant. But the way of the wicked, the one that doesn't live a life oriented toward God, will perish. Will end in destruction. It's a simple psalm that introduces the the 149 that follow. Two ways. Worship God. 
Worship the world. Follow God. Seek Him. Seek His Word. Be tainted by the counsel of wicked, the way of sinners, and the seat of scoffers. And our choice in that is everything. If you haven't chosen to follow God, destruction is the path you're on. If you haven't chosen to repent and give your life to Jesus who died for us to save us, to to pay for our sins, to cover our sins as we talked about earlier, then our path is destruction. But if you choose to orient your life to Christ, give your life to Christ, accept the work on the cross that He did on your behalf, the path is roots in fresh water, is fruit, it's life even when there's famine, even in the hardest of times. And the Psalms are going to explore the righteous path and what that means. I'd like worship team to come up. I like to stand together and end by singing a, a song about the Word of God. So Psalm 1 is about the Word of God and, and we have one that we sing about the Word of God. So I like to stand and sing this together as an introduction to our series on Psalms as we turn our hearts Godward, as we give our hearts to Him. So that should be our focus. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, we love You, we praise You, we worship You. And Lord, as we study Your Psalms, Your songbook that You've given us, direct our hearts Godward. Direct our hearts and our souls and our whole selves to worship you and to, to see you who you are and to put you in your rightful place in our lives. Lord, help us to be honest with you as we go through this, of the struggles, of the hurts, of the anger, but then release those to you and cover those with who you are and what you've done. Lord, thank you for your word, for the instruction it gives and the life that it gives. In your name, amen.